The mission is democratizing the access to financial services. Um, and so, you know, in the mission statement, we purposely don't talk about blockchain or don't talk about any of this because that's not the point. The point is, you know, we use blockchain as a tech to enable this mission. But, but realistically, if we can, if we can democratize the access to any sort of financial services, whether they use blockchain or not, that's, you know, that's what we will do. Hello and welcome to another episode of Devs Do Something. I'm your host, Sam Flamini, and today's episode is with Aluo. So Aluo is a DeFi protocol whose mission is to bring democratized financial services to the masses. So their their mission, as I'd like to say it, is to give someone the best financial services in the world, whether they live in London or Africa or some other country that doesn't have the same level of access, cities like London or maybe New York City or even places like Singapore now do. And what they've built is a really interesting DeFi protocol that combines interesting DeFi products like uh, boosted pools on top of convex and things like that, uh, streaming, dollar-cost averaging, and a really high-quality mobile app experience. Uh, Remy, who is the, the founder of Aluo, one of the founders of Aluo, joins us today along with Sung, who is one of their lead protocol engineers. And both of them gave us an overview of how they've actually built Aluo, right? So things like how they've set up their smart contracts, what they've learned so far, the importance of taking an incremental approach as opposed to an approach of investing six months and then getting a massive audit and then going to market that way. Uh, Remy also uh, has gone really deep down the rabbit hole of mobile development for DeFi products and on-ramps and off-ramps. He actually just launched a side venture called Unblock that is a a brand new on-ramp and off-ramp experience that seems like a fantastic uh, product, and we go through that as well. So if you are a developer who's interested in building high-quality DeFi protocols and high level user experiences for those protocols, I think you're going to get a lot, of the, a lot out of this episode. Um, this team is really focused on bringing DeFi to the masses for real, and I think there's a lot to be learned from this. So with that, sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy. As devs, we all love hackathons. They're a great way to boost your skill set, meet other engineers, and add to your portfolio of work. At Superfluid, we've sponsored many hackathons and decided to start putting on a hackathon of our own, the Superfluid Wave Pool. This hackathon is a little bit different, though, in that it's continuous. It's always open. You can submit any project built on Superfluid at any point throughout the month and have a chance to earn thousands of dollars in prizes, depending on how your project stacks up. In just the last couple of months, we've seen dozens of teams build really amazing projects that run the gamut from superfluid developer tutorials to full-fledged applications uh, to a proof-of-concept superfluid StarkNet implementation that we thought was really, really impressive. So we encourage you to check it out today. You can learn more by going to superfluid.finance slash wavepool. That's superfluid.finance slash wavepool. Happy hacking. All 
All right, we are back today with another episode of Devs Do Something, and this is an episode that I've wanted to record for a while with a a great project in the the superfluid ecosystem called Aluo. Uh, the Aluo team is is here with us, and uh, you know, before I we really get into your backgrounds, why don't you guys both introduce yourselves and and let us know what your roles are at Aluo? Cool. Um, I can get started. Um, my name is Remy. I'm a co-contributor um, at Aluo and, and one of the co-founders. Um, <clears throat> I mostly look after um, the tech roadmap and and generally the, the direction of where Aluo is going. Um, I used to write code, but I don't have much time <laughs> to anymore. Um, so, yeah. Yep. So, I'm Sung. I'm a core, also a core contributor to the Allure protocol, and I build all the like backend stuff. So that includes the contracts and other off-chain infrastructure we need to get to have stuff like the front end running. I love it. Yeah. So you know, we, we we've talked with you guys quite a bit at Superfluid for you know for a while now. We've been impressed with what you've built, and you know we're going to get into what Alua is and how it works and everything in, in just a couple of minutes. Like I said, but before we do that. Why don't you guys give us like a like a description of how you guys got into this industry? Like, like how, how what was what is the founding story of Aluo? These these tend to be interesting stories. We we love to pull them out. Okay, maybe I can give it a go uh, a start. Uh, so I've been in the space about 2013 um, when I bought my first Bitcoin. Um, maybe I won't go into too much detail on why I bought Bitcoin, but let's just say that I, it, it wasn't for an investment purpose. Um, so I bought Bitcoin and then uh, I was at the time studying computer science. Uh, so I then got interested into, well, how does this thing work and you know, why does it work and so on and so forth. Why do people use it to buy things and consider it as money? Um, and yeah, and that led me down the rabbit hole. Um, I then founded a, another startup in 2017, uh, yeah, 17, uh, where we did try to use blockchain tech at the beginning. You know, this was like way back. So, you know, MakerDAO was starting, like it was really right at the beginning of, it was during the ICO craze and all of that. Um, turns out that the tech just wasn't ready for what we were trying to do. So we, you know, kept going with the startup, but just get, got rid of the blockchain element of things. And then when I exited that first company, um, I looked back at the crypto space, you know, I, I was always there, but, but, you know, investing privately and helping project, but never made it my professional uh, full-time job until uh, because I was distracted with the other startup. Um, and yeah, and so I, I looked back at the crypto space and, and I was like, okay, maybe it is time to actually, maybe it is the right time to actually do something. I've always been super passionate about, okay, how do we bring this tech, uh, this technology and this, um, all the benefits that crypto bring to, to the, to the wider public, um, you know, my the, the the cliche sentence is, how can you give, you know, crypto to the average Joe and and he can get to use it, um, and and you know, when we look back at it about a year and a half, close to two years ago now, um, with my uh, co-founder, we're like, okay, maybe the space is finally ready. You know, it was right after or the end of DeFi summer. Um, there was lots of uh, the tech. Generally, the ecosystem had a lot more technology built. Uh, and a lot more, you know, primitives that we could use um, to to facilitate the UX. And so, yeah. And so, this is how uh, this is how you know we started Aluo, and and where, where the mission is really to 
um, democratize the access to financial services, whether you know whether you come from one country or another, whether you're one race or another, whatever. Uh, you should be able to have access to the same financial services, and this is really what we're trying to do with Alua. Um, so yeah, maybe Sang can explain how he got in the in the game. Yes, Sung, let us know, and then Remy, I'll come back and I'll ask you uh, to explain Alua for our listeners. But Sung, how did you how did you get into the space? Yeah, so I guess you know my journey is a little bit different because originally my training is in economics and in particular uh, game theory. So I did have a tangential interest in blockchain uh, since I, I you know I first heard about it. Let's say it must have been around like the first DeFi summer or part one. <laughs> So, but back then it wasn't really more than a distraction until I I think COVID was when it really changed, you know, crypto became much more mainstream than it was. And that's when I feel like I learned and understood why there was so much excitement and this this religious fanaticism behind crypto. Because I think before COVID, the proposition of decentralization and as Remy says, like the tech, it just wasn't really attractive to the general public. But for me, you know, with you know, the changes that COVID brought, it was like a solution to, uh, you know, the increasing like centralization, like, you know, political, like authoritarianism, right? And a move away from all these crazy market distortions we were like seeing from, uh, you know, uh, uh, say the central banks, right? So that's when I got into really learning Solidity and writing smart contracts, doing bug bounties and hackathons as a hobby after work. And that's how Remy here found me and brought me into Alowo after I did a bounty for, for this, for this one. Nice. Yeah. The, the bounty to job pipeline is, uh, is a common one in the space. So that's, that, that's cool to hear. That's, that's essentially how that might've worked, but very cool. Uh, similar stories to what we hear from, from across the space, right? Uh, for both you guys, Remy, can you, for our listeners, just just explain what Alua is like in a little bit more detail. We understand that the mission is to democratize access to financial services. Uh, you guys have a lot of like custom contracts you built. You guys have a mobile app, a nice web app. Uh, walk our listeners through what you guys are actually working on. Yeah. Um, so the way I like to think about it is that there's really three main parts to Alua. Again, just to reiterate, the mission is democratizing the access to financial services. Um, and so, you know, in the mission statement, we purposely don't talk about blockchain or don't talk about any of this because that's not the point. The point is, you know, we use blockchain as a tech to enable this mission. But, but realistically, if we can, if we can democratize the access to any sort of financial services, whether they use blockchain or not, that's, you know, that's what we will do. Um, so, um, yeah, so there's really three main parts to Allure. Uh, there's a, there's a mobile app. Um, so the mobile app is, uh, it looks and feel like a neobank, um, like a modern neobank, you know, like a, a cash app or a Revolut in the, in Europe. Um, and, uh, but it's fully non-custodial, um, and it, you know, sticks to the principle and I guess the ethos of blockchain. So non-custodiality, decentralization and trustlessness. Um, the mobile app, you know, allows you to do basically anything that the Alua protocol has built. Um, you know, you can earn yield on US dollars and you can transfer money um, for two people in the app, but also people outside of the app using you know, just normal stable coins. Uh, you can stream money uh, using Superfluid. Um, you can obviously add money and withdraw money in a, 
and and you know maybe we can get a bit more into that afterwards but you know super um uh how do you say um in the user experience there is just as common as you know sending money to a bank account um so um, uh, using a an on-ramp partner that we that we just launched um yeah and so so really you know it, it doesn't talk about blockchain um it, the but it's fully non-custodial so the private key of the wallet is stored on the on the secure element of the device nobody in the team has access to the funds of the users or anything like that um but you know we really try to abstract it from the the target user of the app is really the average person in the street that wants to you know have exposure to crypto or not even actually not have exposure to crypto and just have access to great yield on us dollars they don't need to understand how it works behind the scenes uh so that's the first part the second part is uh the web app that you mentioned um the web app is we, we call it alua pro um it's the it's basically an interface to interact with the alua protocol for people that understand what crypto is uh, you know people that have a metamask wallet or wallet connect or something like that have some crypto already onboarded you know know what we're talking about when we talk about optimism or ethereum or polygon um you know understand other you know derivative tokens and things like frax or stes or, or whatever they, they basically understand what crypto is and they can interact with the alua protocol using the web app um you, know, you have you have many more fee, um many more investment options if you want in the pro in the alua web app than on the mobile app the mobile app is really just us dollars you deposit money it just earns uh, earns yield and then um yeah but all of these products that i've talked about you know earning yield via the mobile app or via the web app all of this is powered by the alua protocol and i guess this is really the biggest part of what we've built you know it's a set of custom smart contracts i don't even know how many smart contracts we have all together but it's in the hundreds um that that power i, I guess within the smart contracts there's three Uh, sorry within the protocol there's three different products again um you have the first one which is what we call fixed uh, apy farms um this allows you to just deposit a stable asset or even a volatile asset eth btc um on polygon uh, mainnet and as of today or in a few hours optimism um and earn a fixed yield without needing to understand without needing to you know know anything about how the yield is generated the yield is generated via um what we call a liquidity direction process where alua token holders are incentivized to vote for um correct defi pools uh, and where you know where the funds would be deposited um you know where again this whole process is is fully trustless and decentralized so there's nobody at the alua team that you know clicks buttons or decides okay we're going to put the funds in this defi pool or anything like that all of it happens via a decentralized vote um but yeah so that's uh, the the fixed farms uh we have a new product that again we're just launching in a few hours so by the time this podcast will go out it'll be live on optimism which we call optimized farms um basically allows you to um have access to top vaults in ETH or in USD in BFI or you're in finance uh so this is quite fitting as you're in just launched their incentive program so they they won an OP grant and now if you deposit in you you have a, a, a fairly um big chunk of rewards in OP tokens 
you know, rather than having to manage these positions yourself, if you want to have access to these rewards, you can just deposit in Alu, and the protocol will manage um, the position for you and make sure you have uh, the best um, possible rewards if you want. Uh, so that's the second product. And the third product is what we call Boosted Farms. Um, allows you to compound CVX and uh, CVX tokens. Um, maybe I won't go. Maybe I let Penta explain a bit more in details. But, but yeah, three products: boosted farms, fixed farms, uh, and optimized farms. Uh, so that's that. There's one more before I let you <laughs> speak. Uh, <laughs> we've built a lot. Um, every time I talk about it, I'm like, oh Jesus! The, how do I how do I make a, a summary of all of this? Um, the last one that we have is what we call auto invest, uh, which is also powered by Superfluid. Um, and so this is a DCA product. Uh, DCA means dollar cost averaging for, for the listeners who might not know who it is, what it is. Um, basically allows you to buy into a volatile or not actually asset, um, every second. Uh, whatever the spot price is. So it's based on an economic theory that you know, if you believe in the long, in holding a volatile asset in the long term, the best way to invest into it is to buy at spot price continuously rather than say, okay, I want to buy, you know, in the, in the red candles and then sell at the green. You just buy consistently. And then that is probably the best, that is the best way on average to um, invest into a volatile asset. And so we use uh, auto invest is based on Superfluid streams, you set up a stream between an interest bearing token, an Alua interest bearing token in you know, USD, let's say, um, into an interest bearing token in ETH. And so the beauty about this, uh, this setup is that you're earning yield on your US asset, USD asset, um, while it's being uh, DCA'd into an interest bearing token on the ETH side or the BTC side. Um, so you really have, you know, the most capital efficient way to invest into ETH or BTC. Uh, you're buying every second. You're earning yield on both sides of your trade as soon as you as soon as you invest. Uh, sorry, as soon as you buy the asset. Um, yeah, there's no lock in or anything like that. You can you know, come in and out of of your positions as you want. Uh, so yeah, I think in very brief, that's all that we do. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, there's a lot there. Okay, so I, I want to come back specifically to some of the uh, the mobile app stuff that we discussed before we started recording, because I think that's actually interesting, especially for developers that uh, want to build some of these more abstracted good user experiences. So let, let's come back to that in a bit. But Sung, why don't, why don't we talk through the Aluo contract architecture, right? So there's a lot here. Um, there's a lot here, right? There's, there's several products. Uh, Remy just said that you have over 100 contracts, there's complexity here, right? So can you just give us like a brief overview of the of the Aluo contract architecture? Are these all like standalone products? Are there a couple of cornerstone contracts and architectures that each individual product draws from? Would love just like a general architectural overview and then maybe we can dive into some of the more specific products from there. Yeah, I guess if, you, if we... Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give a quick description. You, you can maybe go in a bit more detail. Um, if we talk about the liquidity direction product, uh, which is you know, our most successful one and the one that is connected to the mobile app and so on and so forth, um, the the main uh, yeah, the 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 center of it is what we call the interest bearing uh, Alua USD token. And so it's an interest bearing token that grows at a at an annual rate 
um, and, a lot, and basically is a representation of your investment. So, you know, if you put one USDC in it, uh, you'll get zero point, I don't know, nine, eight, let's say, I don't know what the growing ratio is right now. Uh, IB alu or USD, interest bearing alu or USD. Um, and then when you withdraw, same thing, you'll send this IBLO USD and you'll get your USDC back or, or whatever other stable. So that's like the, the base, I guess, the investment vehicle, if you want. Um, you know, on that, we can talk about the liquidity direction side of things after, maybe and afterwards, you know, how do these funds actually move and, and how does the liquidity direction process work with um, the votes and all of that. But, but on the deposit side, that's how it works. Um, the idea Luo has an, ex I guess we can call it an extension. I don't really know how to describe it, which is the ST IBLO, the streamable ST IBLO, which is, a, a, I keep saying this, but every time I doubt myself, I think it's one of the first uh, super tokens that wasn't that's external to Superfluid. Um, uh, but yeah, maybe Panta, you can explain a bit more about how that works. So about the IBLO token, uh, you know, a, a, as Remy says, you come in with, let's say for the IBL or USD, the USD product, then if you come in with USDC, we we receive it, we bridge it across today to mainnet, and then it's automatically deployed into uh, whatever the chosen liquidity farms underlying the USD pool is. So your funds start earning yield, like whenever whenever that happens. And in the meanwhile, you, as Remy says, you receive this receipt token at grows over time. So by the time you come to withdraw, you would earn a bit of yield on your deposit and you can request a withdrawal. And we have a buffer of funds because, you know, there is that time delay because your funds are being farmed on mainnet where the yields are highest. But, you know, our farms today are on Polygon. The deposit chain is on Polygon. So we, we maintain a buffer so that there is liquidity for people to withdraw immediately. And whenever there is a like, there there aren't enough funds to satisfy a withdrawal, then our system, like, let's say, withdraws from the mainnet liquidity direction, bridges it back over to the Polygon system, and then and then satisfies your withdrawal. So that's that's the core mechanics behind how the contract works and how your your funds actually do you know earn yield. Yeah. So did you guys build your own bridge for this? Or are you using something off the shelf for the actual bridging functionality? I mean, how are you facilitating that? We, we use across. Um, we we uh, explored using a bunch of different options, but uh, across was great because it's, it's very cheap. It's, it's, it's quite simple to set up and we can get it. And we've had a very good experience using it for the last few months since we implemented this automatic uh, buffer refilling. So providing people liquidity to exit. And enter the other way as well. So I think I think it's important to understand that there's two elements here. There's uh, the bridging of the funds. That's fine. Uh, which indeed we use across, which is based on the uh, UMA optimistic bridge, uh, optimistic um, cross chain messaging thingy. <laughs> I forgot what they call themselves. Uh, uh, so that that's one thing. Uh, the other huge point about across is that it's decentralized. So you know it doesn't rely on one big central entity to move funds. I mean, you know, every time we do liquidity direction, sometimes, you know, we move millions. Um, and so we definitely don't want to, that to be stuck somewhere. And, and obviously it's not our money, it's customers' funds. So, um, so yeah, so we're definitely uh, keen on that point. 
Um, the other part of the cross-chain element is messaging. So we need to be able to send messages between, you know, our Polygon system and the Ethereum mainnet or whatever, or the Optimism chain or whatever. Um, and so for that, we use uh, we use Anycall from, from multi-chain. Um, that might not stay like this forever because that part is a bit more centralized. Um, but, but at least for now, that's what, that's what we use. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So just to recap here. So what happens when, let's say I deposit funds into like one of the standard pools, I deposit USDC, I get back, I be a Luo USD or USDC under the hood. What's happening is you are like, this usually I think happens on Polygon. I think you have different pools where you can invest directly on mainnet as well. But let's say I'm on Polygon. I'm using the mobile app. I want a low gas experience. Yeah. yeah. I deposit my funds. What happens is behind the scenes, those funds are bridged from Polygon to Mainnet and then deposited in some pool. Then yeah. if I want yeah. to withdraw, you just you know do this entire process in reverse, yeah. bridge it back, and then give me the uh, the underlying funds back. Yeah. What most likely what will happen is it won't be bridged back. Um, because most likely what will happen is you'll draw down from the liquidity buffer that we have on Polygon, um, which you know is filled and re- and uh, and taken out of by withdrawals and deposits. So most likely you, if you get to the point where you do a withdrawal where there's no no funds in the liquidity buffer, then yes, it will then be bridged back from mainnet. Um, but but most likely today you'll just draw from the liquidity buffer. Got it. Okay. Okay, so you have buffers on each side then to make it so that this is a yeah. bit smoother. Um, how did you guys come to the conclusion that you needed to do that? I mean, is that something you, you plan to do from the, from the beginning? Is that something you ended up reasoning, uh, your reasoning led you to? Or how, how would you advise other teams that need to handle a lot of cross-chain movements? Would you recommend a similar pattern or, or something different? Um, I mean, it, that design, it, we've had that design in mind from the beginning. So my, my co-founder and I both work in traditional finance for a long time. And if you think about it, that's how banks work. They're doing it in a very opaque way and you can't see what's happening. But, but ultimately behind the scenes, this is what happens. You know, they have reserves, um, they have investments and, you know, you draw down from the reserves until they don't have enough. And then they go and undo their investments when they need to refill that or, or go raise capital or whatever. Um, so so the, the design itself is not, you know, crazy complicated. It's really based on on things that work today. Um the the like 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 we said earlier the huge challenge really is how do you um synchronize your buffers like how do you make sure that you always have liquidity for people to withdraw um and and in a timely manner um today you know if you do a withdrawal on alua and you let's say you're at the end of the liquidity buffer so you actually we actually need to unwind some position on mainnet and then bring the funds back it won't be instant it'll take a few minutes for it to happen um again not because somebody behind the scenes is pressing buttons but just because transactions take a while and you know that's a there's a whole cross-chain element and all of that um so so there's an important like messaging part here which is how do you make sure that users don't expect money to disappear or to appear in their wallet right away you know there's a bit this um belief because because in a liquidity direction protocol if you deposit on polygon um most likely today your funds will generate yield on mainnet and not on polygon um a lot of people don't 
understand that. They're like, oh, because nobody else, have, as far as I know, in the industry works like this. You know, if you deposit on Polygon, you generate yield on Polygon. If you deposit on mainnet, you generate yield on mainnet. Um, we've gone, again, going back to, you know, our original mission was we want to abstract all of that to the end, to the end user. We really want to make it, you know, wherever you are, you can generate yield on whatever chain. It doesn't matter. You know, the system will take care of this behind the scenes. Um, there's a messaging piece here where we've had a few people being like, oh, uh, you know, I deposited on Polygon, I withdrew on Polygon, and then my funds are not uh, in the same block. My funds are not in my wallet. What's happening? Uh, and, you know, there's, we have to explain that, well, you know, give it five minutes. It needs to unwind on mainnet and then come back and then you'll, it'll land on your wallet. Like, give it a bit of time. Um, so that, that wasn't easy. It was still not easy sometimes to explain to people. Yeah, well, it's interesting, though, because it, it might create more complexity on your end, but... In the end, though, what you're able to do with this kind of architecture is find the, you know, the, the the protocol, right? The people that actually vote on where the the liquidity goes can just find the most profitable place to put the funds, right? Forget the chain, right? Like if I use if I use Ave, I've got to I've got to choose what chain I want to use Ave on, and the average user doesn't want to do that. So I'm I'm with you there. That's actually pretty interesting. Um, okay, so just just recapping this process, right? So Again, we said I'd deposit funds, I get I'd be a little back. What happens next with those funds, right? Again, you, you said that we're we're dealing with a, a liquidity buffer likely under the hood. That's the that's the actual place where funds might be sent back or sent initially. But what happens next? So you have these these regular sort of rounds where you like your your governance uh, token holders will actually go in and they will vote on where that liquidity goes. So what happens? Do, do the funds sit there for a little while until the vote happens? Are they put into a temporary pool? Like, like what happens, I guess, next after I actually deposit the funds? Yeah. So when you deposit funds, um, again, funds will probably at the beginning uh, be used to top up the buffer. Um, so, you know, as withdrawals come in, the buffer is set to a certain percentage of the total uh, of the total TVL. So if our TVL is, I don't know, let's use round numbers, 1 million, I think we've set the buffer to 5%. I don't remember what the last... Um, change was but let's assume it's five percent you know we'll, the system will always make sure that there's at least five percent of the tvl that is that is available in the buffer um and then okay if we assume now that the buffer is topped up and you know all five percent are there somebody comes in and deposits you know a hundred grand uh that money will then be um bridged to mainnet and then will be invested into whatever the uh last voting cycle had voted on. So we have um, every two weeks, there's a voting cycle, which runs on uh, snapshots. Um, and so Alua token holders that have locked their Alua tokens uh, can vote on to in like, whatever pool we want uh, funds to be uh, deposited into for each asset, asset class that we have. Um, so, you know, we, these votes are created automatically. So again, nothing to do with, with the core team. Um, you know, people, uh, Alua token holders that have locked their tokens can go on there and they get served with a, a series of options for USD, a series of options for BTC, a series of options for ETH, and they can choose, okay, we want to put, we're going to put 80% of the funds into this, uh, curve convex pool, uh, on mainnet. And then we're going to put 20% onto you know, this other pool, um, I don't know, in harvest or whatever it might be. And then uh, the votes are open for uh, two days. Uh, so they open on a Wednesday. No, for four days. They open on a Wednesday and they close on a Sunday. 
Um, and then on, on the Monday morning, there's a, a vote exec execution um, task that runs, um, compiles the results of all the votes, and then actually executes um, executes the you know whatever the votes were uh, voted for. Um, so it will reallocate the funds that uh, haven't been invested yet. It will move the funds that, you know, if we switch out of a pool completely, for example, it will take all these funds out and then put them into the new pool. Yeah, all, the, all of that will be handled by, uh, by the process. Nice. And Sun can, you, Sun, can you walk us through how that actually works under the hood at the smart contract level? Like, how are you actually depositing the funds from pool to pool? Do you have like a single contract that manages this or there is this kind of modular where you have multiple contracts that manage things for separate pools. We'd love to hear you walk through how that works behind the scenes. Yeah, I, I think it's important to start by like how we originate these votes. So we start at snapshot, right? So people at vote.lo.com, like, you know, vote on these proposals, but actually all of our proposals are created through a GitHub act, through a, through a script that's run on GitHub actions. So, you know, initially what we do, like through the script, so you can see this, the execution on, uh, you know, on GitHub, you can see how we calculate, you know, the current value of the treasury, you know, through the script, you can see, uh, you know, because we have to display what the different APYs are for the different pools so that people vote for the correct ones. We do all that calculation and then we format it and then we create the vote. And then the, likewise, the, you know, once the votes are completed, the execution runs in this exact same way where we look at what the results are and then we, we actually submit a lot of the, the votes as is, as the results are um, immediately on chain. So what that means is if let's say for the USD farms, if there's like 60% that's supposed to go to pool A and like 40% to pool B, we don't do the calculations off chain and then send it off on, onto chain. We, we just submit that like as is, right? So 60% pool A, 40% pool B for the USD. And then on chain, as you say, we, we have this uh, custom like set of contracts called, which is our vote executor architecture. So which you know, we, we take in these percentages. So I'm just talking about uh, liquidity direction for now, but we take the percentages, we calculate how much like total value locked in the system is. So we calculate what that 60% really is in let's say USDC. So that 60% might be like $800,000. And then we take that 800,000 and we calculate, okay, how much is it at right now? And so if 60% is our target and we're, we're at, and that's 800K and we're at 400K right now, we need to like deposit an extra 400K, right? So we do that, we queue it in, in the contract. We, we, do all, we do all the unwinding first and then uh, through, we, we execute it so that the funds which are withdrawn from other pools are reallocated correctly. So you know, from end to end, we start from like, you know, a decentralized, as decentralized and open source as it gets with a GitHub action script all the way to like the final product, which is uh, the on-chain execution. So you can see the whole process. Nice. I think the transparency there is good. Um, and I think all that makes sense. It's actually fairly simple when you, when you kind of pull it apart, actually. It's more simple than it, may, it might seem. What about the boosted pools, though? These seem like there's a little bit more complexity. So can you guys walk us through what the boosted pools are? Yeah, maybe before we get into boosted pools, it, because we mentioned we need, it's important to understand why we started with boosted pools because it, it, could, it could feel like it's a bit um, 
far from like the mission of democratizing access. Um, so Alua token holders to be able to vote lock their tokens, their Alua tokens. Um, and the reason they lock their tokens is because um, they want to participate in the vote, first, first thing. But, you know, people are motivated by money, so they don't participate just for the sake of participating. Um, they participate because they get rewarded um, in a reward token for their participation in the vote. And that reward token is uh, CVX. It's a CVX ETH LP. Um, from so convex uh, convex ETH LP. Um, so the way it works is whatever the difference between the advertised APY. Uh, so you know we promise seven percent on US dollars, and the realized APY is at the back of uh, every liquidity direction vote is. So if we promise seven percent and we make ten, let's say, so it's around three percent on top of what was promised to the depositors. That three percent will be converted or will be deposited into the CVX ETH pool, and the LPs will be split between all the voters that voted um, that voted on that round. Um, and so, yeah, and so this is why people vote is because they get CVX ETH. Now, CVX ETH is a is a great asset. You know, if you if you're a believer in in convex and Ethereum overall, it's a great asset to hold. But what we do is we also boost that CVX ETH for uh, the people that voted. And so we can explain what boost means. Um, but, but so that's the reason that we created these boosted pools is to further increase the rewards for the people that vote uh, that are part of the liquidity direction protocol, uh, liquidity direction process, basically. So yeah, Song, if you want to explain you know, how the boosting works. Yeah. So the actual boosted pool itself is actually a tokenized vault contract. So it's an ERC4626 contract where if you deposit something, you get the shared token. So anytime you deposit, you own a part of the, a share of the vault. And what happens is, let's say you start with your dollars. You put your dollars in and let, and we have a CVX ETH boosted pool. So what that does is we convert it into CVX ETH for you. So we, we essentially zap into the position directly, the CVX ETH LP. We stake it into Convex so that now that CVX LP is earning like 20, 30% APY, right? But that's in CRV CVX tokens, right? Most of it is in CRV CVX tokens. So what the boost element actually is, is all these external token rewards you receive from staking this LP. We, we sell them all back for the underlying asset, which is CVX ETH, right? So you, you, and you buy this asset, the asset earns yield, and then we loop it back into the asset you initially invested in. So over time, your your investment in that asset will increase in, in number, and you'll continue, and your yield is compounding on top of it. Right. So you that extra reward you got is also earning twenty percent, thirty percent, not just the, your initial principal that you deposited. And then when you with, when you want to withdraw, you can just take it out immediately. Got it. So you're you're effectively like compounding where where every single return you get, you're just reinvesting that back in and using that to to boost the potential returns. And so you know, it's it's interesting here because this is something you can do yourself. Like we're not you know make, building something that is really complicated, but it's very gas inefficient for you to do it yourself. Like you would need a lot of money uh, to be able to make it efficient for you. And so because with our boosted product, you know, you're part of the pool and the protocol pays for this, um, this looping, it becomes much more, well, that's efficient for you. You don't need to worry so much about looping it. 
you know, it, it, it happens on its own and so on and so forth. So it's, it makes it, um, for, for some, you know, a DeFi degen who understand this product, it makes it much more viable. You don't need 200 grand uh, deposited in these pools to make it worth your while, basically. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're leveraging like your scale of being a you're you know, you're you're accumulating this capital and doing it in in volume instead of just for the individual user. So it, yeah, it, it definitely makes more sense. Yeah, in in days where where gas is at 120 or whatever we saw in the last few days, it it, it makes it worth it. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you there. Song, is there a reason you guys went with the four six two six design for this boosted pool? As opposed to what you're doing for the the, the standard IBLUO tokens, like when I when I deposit funds into the boosted pool, do I get IBLUO back, or is it is it something different because we have the four six two six design? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a separate token you get. So it's it, you get a like I think we call it AB Aluo boosted, and then whatever the asset, asset is. So if it's CVX ETH, you get AB CVX ETH. It's a separate one. And on, about your question about why did we go for a different um, arch- architecture there. So first thing is, you know, it, it's different in the sense that your wherever your depo- whatever chain you're depositing in, you're you're entering a pool in the same chain, right? So there's no need for anything more complex. Like you don't need any more complex representation of your actual investment. So, and the reason why we went for a, of the four six two six approaches, it, I think at, at that point in time it, it was it was quite widely used by a lot of the other protocols like Rari as well, uh, and I think our a goal that we, we have generally as as developers here is that we want to make it so that people can always build on top of us. Like we want to create the baseline, but so I think a great initiative is to use all these you know standard implementations that because as you know there's you know there might be like five different protocols doing roughly the same thing but they're doing it in, in like five different implementations so it just it's just all over the place for like other people to build on top of you so that's why we use uh, a standard implementation like that mm-hmm. yeah that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. It, it, it is a little bit less complex in terms of, like like you said, what you're trying to represent than the IB Lua, right? The IB Lua has a lot of, you're basically trying to create an abstraction on like a sort of general position that you're, you're, you've deposited funds into this larger system. So I think that makes sense. Uh, let's get into the, to the STIB Lua bit now. Now, this is, this is the superfluid kind of streaming integration, right? And it forms the basis of the auto invest product you have for dollar cost averaging. But let's get into like what you guys had to do to actually enable streaming with the IBLUO token, right? So you had to build a different, a different version of the IBLUO. Uh, can you guys walk us through that? Uh, and I have some context on this one because I was, I was here when you guys built that. So, should I take this one, Remy? Yeah. So, I think for us, so today the implementation we have is we have essentially two contracts, right? So we have the IBLO, which is our the original token. But then we have this other wrapper contract in the same way you have like all the other superfluid wrapper tokens called the STIBLO, which handles all the streaming logic. So about, you know, the process of getting there. So it, it actually wasn't super straightforward for our purposes. 
because initially what we want to do is create a native super token. So I, I guess for the, the devs who maybe aren't as familiar with a super token, it holds all the logic that, uh, that enables the token or the contract to be compatible with Superfluid's uh, products such as the streaming and the airdrop feature, the, the instant distribution agreement. So we wanted to create a native token, so, which means that we'd have all the existing interest-bearing token logic combined with the native super token logic, and we'd have it all under one token address, right? So that would be the most ideal because we'd, we wouldn't have to keep track of multiple contracts, etc. But because, uh, you know, the super token logic is quite heavy, we'd, we, we run into like the max storage cap very quickly. So we, we really had two options there. So number one is go down a route where we use something like the diamond proxy pattern, where uh, you can go around the store, max storage cap, but you know, you're going to be perhaps maintaining something which is bit more unconventional, like not supported by the ecosystem generally. Like, I don't think like on Etherscan, you can even see uh, the functions correctly. So it, it's, we, we had that option versus, you know, we, we just create a wrapper around it. But so we ended, we did go end up going with a wrapper super, uh, super fluid token. So uh, the compromise we made was in, in two ways. So the first thing is we added some custom functionality and then to maintain so that you can go between these two tokens very easily. And we built some other like off-chain architecture to maintain it, but I'll get that, get to that in a, in a moment if you're interested in it, but about this, it, you know, interoperability. So the custom feature that we added, we have two, right? So the first one is your balance, your IBLable balance will also represent your STIBL balance. So if you had like a hundred IB allowables and you also have a hundred STIB allowables, like on the front end, you'll see that you have 200, right? Like, so for the end user, you don't even, you don't even have to know that there is a second contract. And let's say you, you only have a hundred IB allowables, but and the other hundred are wrapped in the ST. Then let's say you wanted to withdraw like 150, then instead of reverting, like it, it normally would, what it does, it checks, okay, do you have an STIB allo to a balance to draw on? And if it does, the contracts themselves, the, the wrapper contracts themselves will communicate and, you know, unwrap some STIB allos. So 50 IB, STIB allos go back to IB allos, and then the withdrawal happens. So actually for the end user, I think many people don't even know that there is this, uh, you know, separate token contract. And, and really it's only people who need or want to know it is if you want to see it on like Etherscan, right? So I think it's a good compromise that, you know, that we make where, you know, we avoid the complexity and like, you know, the maintenance of going down like the completely different proxy implementation, as well as like keeping that user experience somewhat sane and not having people to like do like eight transactions to deposit or withdraw from a token. Yeah, that was a good description. There's a lot in there. You did a good job. So... Uh, yeah, I think that the, uh, again, your mission, you're, you're abiding by your mission at several layers here, right? Uh, whether it's with the, the general IBLUO architecture to abstract away all this complexity for the user, the multi-chain experience thing where I don't even have to worry about what chain I'm depositing funds on. I just see the, see the UI and click buttons and it works. And then when it comes to the streaming, 
you don't have to maintain these two separate balances. As you, as you said, you basically just made your existing, you made it for, for the user, right? You basically made your existing contract, your existing interface basically seem compatible with these two separate standards, which was impressive. Um, so let's get into maybe some of the UX stuff, actually. Maybe this is a good question for Remy. Like, how do you, how have you guys thought about building out a high quality mobile experience for somebody that has never used DeFi before? What what lessons have you learned there? Uh, what insights can you give somebody that might be considering doing something similar? Um, and the first thing we learn is that it's it's really fucking hard. Um, that's the first thing we learned. Um, there's still you know a, a huge lack of. Um, tools and standards and libraries and so on to build to build mobile um so you know you you got to do everything yourself um at least when we started two years ago now you have you start to have a lot more but like wallet providers by api and stuff like that but at the time there was nothing so we had to really build everything ourselves um you know blockchain transactions sometimes work sometimes don't gas goes all over the place and all of that and and so dealing with all of this on the phone is is very difficult um, but you know, ultimately, the the wild uh, you know the majority of users today interact with uh, the internet using a phone, not using a computer. Um, so it doesn't make much sense, you know. Again, if you want to stay true to our mission, to not have a mobile experience, um, because this is the first you know the first interface that people uh, use today. Yeah, maybe not in in the Western world and in the US and stuff, but in everywhere else, people use their phones. They don't have computers. A lot of people don't have computers, so it just makes sense to build a, a mobile experience. Um, you know, hiding a lot of the complexity using you know from on the UI, it's not that difficult to do. Um, it's just that I think a lot of people don't, as in you know, not showing blockchain and stuff like that. Uh, it's not that difficult to do. But uh, I think a lot of people in our space don't think that way. They think about how oh, we need to show blockchain and it's also a marketing tool and, and all of this, where we believe that not really. I mean, at the end of the day, the user doesn't really care you know, what he uses. When you send an email, whether you use POP3 or SMTP, you just send the email, you press go on Google and on, on your Gmail or on your Outlook or wherever. It just, just You don't know what protocol you're using underneath. Um, you know, why in finance and in the DeFi world, you need to know what chain you're using, how much gas you're paying, all of this, all of this is irrelevant to the end user at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, so that's why, that's why we really think, we really believe that that's just the right thing to do. Um, you know, another big part that there is a big, um, like a, a big pain point for us and that we identified quite early is, is how do you move money on and move money off? chain uh, so obviously we are entirely on chain um you know we don't we have no ability to interact with fiat uh, as an organization you know we're DAO. we don't even have a bank account like all of it happens on chain even internally um all of it happens on chain so for customer funds it's even worse we definitely don't have any ways of of dealing with fiat so how do we you know allow um somebody that doesn't need to know about crypto to actually have crypto behind the scenes um, and so, you know, on and off ramps are, were a crucial part of making this experience work. Um, so we, we integrated with, I mean, all the major ones. Um, 
older ones altogether, really. I think, you know, MoonPay, Transag, Ram Network, like all these guys, you, we've had integrations with uh, sexes as well. So Coinbase and, and Binance, like, and, and all of this was, um, and excuse my French, but, but fucking terrible. Um, terrible for the for us as a you know as devs building, but also terrible. It, it just couldn't bring the right user experience. Um, and so as of you know um, today, we've launched an integration with a new on ramp uh, company called Unblock, um, where that makes it super uh, super straightforward for the end user and native to the app. Um, so today, if you go on Aluo, um, the mobile app, you know you go to and there's a button that says Add Cash. And then all that button will do is it'll show you a bank account number and a sort, uh, you know, bank in, if it's in the US, it'll be a bank account number and a routing number. If you're in Europe, it'll be uh, an IBAN. If you're in the UK, it'll be a account number and a sort code. Um, and that's your bank account. It's your bank account. Uh, you know, you send money to it and it just lands on your Lua wallet. And so what happens behind the scenes is Unblock creates a bank account for you in your name, uh, you send money to that bank account, Unblock converts it to USDC and sends the USDC directly to your ZRX address uh, with Aluo. And then those funds are automatically deposited into the Aluo protocol. And so in about 15 seconds, you go from you know money in your bank account to money deposited in a DeFi protocol using a mobile app um, without ever leaving uh, the mobile experience. So you don't need to you know, go on your desktop or interact with an iframe or, or anything like that. Um, so yeah, so that was, that's, a, you know, it took us a year and a half or close to two years to get there. But, but for me, this is the, the, the apex. This is where shit's about to get real. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's pretty rare. Okay, so typically the attitude of people in the space is, you know, like I'm going to build one very specific thing and then I'm, it's money Legos, right? So I'm just going to use all this other off-the-shelf stuff to integrate with my thing, you guys have taken a different approach where you guys have said, all right, look, uh, there's cool stuff out there. We're going to integrate with some of it. But if, it, if it's not good, if we, don't, if we don't like it, we're just going to literally build our own version of it, right? Or if, if, it's, if it's not 100% right for our exact use case, uh, we're just going we're, we're gonna to tweak the contract slightly and build our own version of it, right? Like I, I respect that. And I think other people might take note of that especially if they're like in the in the driver's seat with with one of these organizations right if you're a cto or making high level decisions on this on these things um and i think what you do with unblock is impressive right most people who are 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 devs and technical uh and are building these kinds of interesting protocols they want to avoid like those kinds of operational and legal challenges um you know, I'm sure you had maybe some benefit that you have like, like a finance background where you kind of understood maybe the places to go to, to start solving these in the first place. But let's say, you know, let's say there's somebody out there who's like, they're just like kind of like nervous or scared to jump into these other worlds, whether it's like just solving like a legal and financial problem in the traditional financial world uh, to get this done, or whether it's, you know, actually connecting with maybe regulators in their, or in their jurisdiction. Like, how do you advise people who are technical, Remy, that want to like actually, you know, do things outside of the the pure smart contracts or UI bubble. Yeah. Well, um, the the first thing I'd say is, you know, Unblock is is not only for Aluo. Unblock, if, if somebody wants to use Unblock as, as part of their protocol, they're more than happy you to get in touch, and and it's a, you know, it's a public API that people can use. 
Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's an on and off ramp like any other, you know, please feel free to reach out if you're interested in, in this kind of, uh, this kind of experience. Um, but, um, an advice on how to deal with regulators. Um, I think it's, um, your experience plays a lot in this, like being able to, um, yeah, being able to knowing what to say to who, um, plays a lot, you know, apart from me, there's a, there's a whole other part of the team that is also very experienced in this, uh, in the uh, web two and, and traditional finance world. So, you know, experience helps a lot. Um, you don't, you, you know, you mentioned that we like to <laughs> build a lot of stuff. We, we do, but, but we also like to use, you know, best in class things. So you know, using Superfluid for us was very obvious. You know, the only, the best way to stream money, um, you know, we adapted it, but we used the best, the best in class. So, and, and really what, what, why we ended up building this on block and custom, you know, custom way of on and off, on and off ramping. Um, is because we just didn't believe that there was a best in class. Like anything that was out there for us was subpar and not good enough. So if you can't, if somebody, if nobody can build it properly, then, and you know, you know how to do it, just do it. Like it's, you take a risk, fine, but, but we really believe in our mission. So, so we just build it. We just build it, you know, to, to achieve the mission. Um, so, so yeah, I, I don't really, you know, regulators are hard to deal with, like generally, um, they, they try their, their best and, you know, they, they have a good, uh, how to say most of them, at least, you know, it's for the good of people, but they're just hard to deal with. There's not much else to say. Um, so yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah. I don't know if there is any one size fits all advice, but I think that the general framing is helpful. Uh, Sung, how about on your side with the contracts? Like, if you guys were starting from scratch with the Luo, is there anything you do differently when it comes to building smart contracts? Like, for for someone who's about to really get their hands dirty and build a larger protocol, I mean, what what would you say to that person? I think there there's two questions there. Uh, I'll answer them, I guess, in order. So, like, what we what would we have done maybe a little bit differently? I think I, I think generally our approach was you know quite good where where we we built incrementally rather than you because you can see a lot of the bigger protocols where they try like they maybe they do have the funding to do so but like they spend like six months with like just a landing page and they they can build just for six months straight and then have an audit big audit at the end of that and they can just launch but actually for you know for most most if not all like a very small minority you that's just not possible right like you need to build incrementally, and I think that's what we've done really well at. Now, on that note, I, you know, I, obviously the landscape has changed very different, very much from like when we started. So, like when we started, like you know, the support with like a lot of the off-chain architecture which wasn't there. So, like maybe we built stuff a little bit more suboptimally. Where whereas today, there's things like Gelato, or, you know, it's it's much more. Uh, it's much more user friendly uh, for devs to dev friendly to set up. You have all the oracles, which are you know, much more robust, and you, we, we have like a lot more like to, tooling, such as like Tenderly, to like work through uh, you know different ch- challenges. So it, it's hard to say like you know what would you like, you know you should have done this like you know two like two year, like a year or two ago because like maybe the just the tools just weren't as developed as they were today. 
but I guess, you know, going on to the question about like, what, what, you know, what, how about like the people starting the protocols now? I, I think it's like, just make sure you at least start by knowing like what tools you can use. Cause you'd be surprised how many people don't even know the existence of a lot of the popular tool, like, tool that devs use. So if you go to like hackathons, like, um, that are run by like ETH Global, which are probably the, the bigger hackathons in the world. I know like both Superfood and Alu have sponsored them. You'll see that there's a lot of devs who don't know that certain tooling or certain, uh, you know, certain libraries like, exist at all. And they did, like, for example, for debugging, uh, we, we use Tenderly quite a lot, but we also use other hard hat plugins to do like the, to, to go through the uh, assembly calls and, and like, really deep dive into what's going on in the EVM. And that's actually really helpful for debugging. But I, you can see a lot of people maybe just, you know, they just start with more like simple tools and they, they get stuck on like, the, let's say the easier part of the development cycle rather than actually being able to get through that, break through that and like actually develop the product much quick, much quicker. That's interesting. Yeah, I think the first advice you had in particular is something that I've seen pop up a lot more, this incremental approach, right? Not everybody has the funding right now to go, you know, build some gigantic thing, bet bet the farm on it, and then get a huge audit at the end of a six-month period. So I think the way you guys have done things, I think makes a lot of sense for some of the earlier stage teams to, to take note of. Um, I think that's good advice, but awesome. Well, listen, guys, it's been fantastic having you on. Uh, I'll actually learn a decent amount of things in this conversation after, you know, I've, I've followed you guys for a while, but I, I was still able to learn a lot today. Maybe Remy, where would you like to point people to listen to this? Like how can they get involved with you guys or like, what can they do to learn more about Alua? Like what, what would you, what would you like them to do? Yeah. So I think the best place is probably our link tree, um, to link tree slash Alua. Um, you know, we can paste it in the, in the description or something, um, you know, in there you'll have links to our website, our documentation, our contract library, um, our Discord. If you want to come chat to us, um, you know, if you want to interact with uh, Allure token holders, you know, during the voting cycle and all of that, all of this is on the link tree. Um, you know, our documentation. I invite people to read our documentation, even if you're not uh, a dev. You know, we we really tried hard to make our documentation friendly, even for people that are not developers. Um, so, you know, explaining how the protocol works in, in non-technical terms. So that's one, um, you know, if you're interested in the on and off ramping thing, uh, and how, how do we handle this, um, you know, including the, the, the fact that it's no fees and things like that, uh, you can also go on the link tree, but it's the unblock link tree. So it will be link tree, uh, slash get unblock. Um, and yeah, you'll get all the info that you need on there as well. Uh, so yeah, that's probably the, the best place to go. Fantastic. We'll link to all that stuff in the show notes for this episode. But listen, guys, thank you again for coming on.